At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The omnipresent trade deadline hovers ever closer, and John and I are back here. This is one where we're really going to concentrate on some of John's insider knowledge in his seven years with the Memphis Grizzlies. I've never actually had a chance to talk to him about all this stuff in this level of detail. I've never had a chance to talk to any executive in this level of detail. So he is going to answer all of my stupid questions about what happens at the trade deadline and how trades come together and what the timeline is, how you initiate conversations, what you do when somebody calls you, every single aspect of what is actually going on in a front office during the trade deadline. John, can you live up to to that pressure? <laughs> to, to that build up? You, I yeah, I will do I will do my best. I you're, I, I, you're think impart I think literally every single thing that happens in the trade deadline. Yeah. Right. I I think I, I have a lot to draw on here. We'll see how much we can we can fit into one hour or so. Okay, so here's where I wanted to start. And at a later episode, I think we're gonna try and do a truncated version of this work for some of the contenders. But just tell me what work has been done up until now as we sit here about two and a half weeks before the trade deadline. Sure. Um, I think there's a few different things. Um, obviously, by this point, we'd have all sat down as a staff and talked about uh, where we stand as a team internally. What are we trying to do? Are we trying to win or are we trying to not win? Um, most obviously, but... Uh, what are our needs? What is our cap and tax situation? What are we trying to do in the off season or the next year that we could potentially do now? All of those things. And you're having informal conversations along those lines all through the season as a staff. Um, but there, there are, there are points, I think, when you get into January, especially where you kind of sit everybody down and have a little more, thorough powwow. You have half a season in a book. You pretty much know what you have as a team. Um, so as opposed to sort of your fanciful outlook in September, October, before any games have been played, now you've been confronted by the reality of all your uh, weaknesses and uh, strengths, and you've had injuries probably, and, and ju you just have all these things to deal with now. So I think there's that to start with. Well, well so let me, let me stop you on that too. So it's really, it's about... Uh, I guess, number one, having an accurate self-assessment of where you are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a lot of times that's where teams get themselves in the most trouble. If you go back and look is when they just weren't honest with themselves about where they were and what they had. And and I I think that's a that's a more common thing that leads to mistakes that people don't really talk about. So uh, do you think there's disagreement on that uh, or are usually people able to get on the same page? Uh, there's always going to be disagreement. I mean, even from people who are, you know, theoretically aligned, there's going to be disagreement. I mean, people are going to disagree. It's just any, you know, any group of X number of people in a room, there's going to be disagreements. Now the question is, I don't know. <laughs> for example, we have two people not in the same room and we have a disagreement. <laughs> so there, and, and, you know, part of the role, especially for, general manager or a lead executive is just managing that debate and channeling it in, in productive ways. But there's going to be different viewpoints too. I mean, you're going to bring in your 
your coach and he's going to have a certain viewpoint. Your ownership is going to have a certain viewpoint. Uh, so everybody in the mix is going to have certain opinions about where things stand. If you have a superstar player, you may talk to him too and, and get, you know, get that player's opinion. So there's a lot of different stakeholders that you are kind of taking in input from. And then from there, you're also trying to figure out, uh, the rest of the league too. So you are putting together a, all the, all the analytics reports on all the teams and players who, um, you basically, you're trying to do globally, like be prepared for anyone being available, but then you're also yeah. trying to dive deeper on more specific people that you think are likely to be available. Um, so you may have your scouting department go through and look at the last 10 games of, you know, eight to 10 players that specifically you think are likely to be in play for you at this deadline. Uh, you, that, that would be an example of the type of thing you'd be doing at the beginning of January or early in January in order to prepare yourself for what is going to happen as you get into February. So, yeah, I, I guess the, the self-assessment thing, that's something where you might say, okay, you know, are we just so bad? Uh, is like, is this fixable, right? Like maybe like a Portland would be going through something like that. Right now, we're like, okay, we got Dave Miller, we got CJ McCollum here. There, those are really good players. We just we have a couple of positions where it, it's just so bad. If we, you know, get that it wouldn't cost that much to upgrade, and so maybe we should try to do that. And just getting it to average instead of replacement level at some of these positions it could really catapult us forward. Where on the other hand, if you're like, all right, we just have so many needs here that improvement may not be realistic or we just have too many injuries uh, or whatever, you know, so just simply having a, you know, a 17 and 25 record doesn't necessarily, you know, that's not the be all end all of these determinations. Yeah. And you know, it's going to vary too. Some teams will have a more uh, stated goal, maybe from above of trying to make the playoffs versus other teams. And God wants you to make the playoffs. Yes. <laughs> for example. And, uh, uh, or, you know, or I mean, Tillman for Tidda, depend depends. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it it um you also have to be honest though about where you are in your timeline as a team, too, I guess. Is are you are you kinda at the at the end of the wick, so to speak, or are you um are you still building towards something or are you I don't know, are you kind of on the on the plateau? Are you Detroit last year, you know, where Yeah. And is it even important to you to be the eighth seed and suffer the worst loss in the history of the first round like Detroit right, did right. last year? And it's so interesting for some of these teams too, as we'll talk about more in later episodes of just, you know, a New Orleans or a Memphis, a young team that has so much on the horizon has players that have some value and could be moved, but yet they, you also might want to make the playoffs this year, or really get on. The rise, Memphis has cap space. Maybe they look better to free agents if they do make the playoffs. So, yeah, it's really just making the decision of what you even want to do. It seems like it. it's like such an important step even to begin with. Yeah, and that's, you know, those kind of overarching strategy discussions, I think, get underrated because everyone just wants to be fantasy GM and launch into the, you know, the part where you're doing the trades. And, uh, but that... Those exercises are important, and I think the best teams do them well and take them seriously. So you mentioned you'd have the scouting department look at maybe eight to ten players that you would expect to be available that you think might fit. In a, in a, tip yeah. in a typical year where you're trying to win, yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and then I guess – so, and it seems to me the more I think about it, really your job's – if you're on a winning team that's really trying to get better versus a losing team that maybe is just trying to get what you can for assets. I mean, obviously as a fire and so you're going to approach things differently, but even like the prep work that you're going to do is going to be a lot different. It seems like. Yeah. So for example, I mean, last year when we knew what we were, what we were trying to do, uh, you know, when we had Mike and Mark both on the trade market and we ended up trading Mark was that we were we were doing those same evaluations, but we were doing it off of 
22 year olds on other teams, right? We were, we were looking yeah. at who are the, who are the young guys would be interested in, in asking for and what were the, or, you know, maybe not quite that young. Maybe, you know, we ended up with Valanciunas, who's a little older and, and Delon Wright, but looking at players who would potentially be those pieces and packages. And so the other aspect of this is understanding other teams and their cap situations and what is even possible. So, yeah, that to me seems like the next uh, part of this. Actually, here, let's, uh, let's take care of a couple things here and then we can, uh, sure. we can talk about that. Column and LeBron James want to let you know that they have teamed up to help you train your mind. Talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side of the game that's just as important, and that's your mental fitness. You can help train your mind with Calm to sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. Obviously, as an NBA player, LeBron James knows how important sleep is. He says, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. If you head to calm.com slash lockdown NBA, you'll get 40% off a Calm Premium membership. Their sleep stories in particular are, are something that are a great way to help you unwind at the end of a stressful day if you find yourself laying in bed, thinking about what you have to do the next day or stressful events from that day. It's a great way to really unplug and get to sleep. You can also try out the nature scenes that LeBron really likes, like Rain on Leaves. They've got meditations as well. So for a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash NBA. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better with Calm at calm.com slash NBA. That's calm.com slash NBA. So we've got a new sponsor to tell you about, and that's Indeed. Hiring is one of the most difficult things that we deal with. John and I had talked a lot about how to hire people in the NBA, but for your business, Indeed can get you good applicants to choose from with the right education and experience. Millions of great candidates use Indeed every day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help create your short list of applicants fast. You can also add skills tests to your job posts so you can be confident in your applicants' uh, abilities. Since that's obviously something that's difficult to determine in an interview, they've got a library of more than 50 skills tests, which range from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're making the right hire for your team post your job today at indeed.com slash duncan don't tell john that i was in the url and he wasn't that's indeed.com slash duncan that's d-u-n-c-a-n to get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting indeed.com slash duncan terms conditions and exclusions apply offer valid through march 31st 2020 so that seems to me of just determining who is available seems like the, the next part of this, right? And I mean, I guess you start by just looking logically and trying to put yourself in the other team's shoes, I, I would imagine, to see who could possibly be out there. Yeah, that was always one of my favorite parts was trying to put myself in the, in the other front office's head and, and imagining what they would want to do. And obviously you get clues from the conversations you have with them as well, but they have incentives a lot of times to not disclose everything, especially about players they really want to move out. Maybe, um, you know, there's, there's only so much you're going to be forthcoming about that usually, uh, because then you just look desperate. Yeah. Well, so this is, this is like such an interesting dichotomy to me of this idea of looking desperate, the negotiation, you know, like Daryl Morey, for example, it got a reputation that's leached into the media. Some even of they always come to you with some deal that probably Daryl knows if he were in your shoes, he'd never take right mm -hmm. uh, uh, where it's almost, it's almost disrespectful in some ways, uh, even where it, it can be a waste of time. But Daryl might think, all right, if I do that a hundred times, then maybe the hundred and first time the guy just is either sees things totally different or he's incompetent or whatever. And I get this incredible steal of a deal, right? So that's one philosophy. The other one is, all right, we all kind of know what we're trying to do here. Everyone's time is valuable. I need you to take me seriously. Like you only have so much bandwidth to entertain these types of talks. So let's be a little bit more honest about what everyone needs and i'm going to make a, you an offer that if i were in your shoes i would actually consider taking that offer you know mm -hmm. so and that maybe you even start at it 
from that point, it, did, you, did you sense that there is kind of a some front offices that do it one way, some offices front offices that do it the Daryl way? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'd, I'd say he was probably in the minority. Um, he also made just a lot more offers in general than, than most other teams. I think they were just less inhibited in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, they would just, they would just call and offer stuff and, and, you know, see, see where it went. I think, I think a lot of other front officers are a lot more skittish about even getting to the point of making a trade offer. They just don't want to see their players' names in the papers or whatever. And so, uh, there, that, that's how their style is a little different. But uh, honestly, every team's style was a little different. I mean, as the funny thing about the league in general is that it's really 30 mom and pop shops, right? Kind of each doing things their own way. And the front offices are usually pretty small mom and pop shops when you, when you get right down to it. And so there's a, there are a lot of idiosyncrasies there and each one's a little different. So of the calls that you would get, um, mm-hmm. well, uh, you like what percentage of them were just like complete horseshit where you're just like, there's no way, there's no fucking way we're doing this. Like stop wasting my time. You know what though? It, it usually never even got to that point because usually you're doing, you're calling back and forth and you're kind of collecting information over the course of the year and you, are talking to your, you should be talking to people that you have at least somewhat decent relationship with. And so the, the only times that really happens are kind of in the hour before the deadline and the hour right around the draft. We're so sometimes in those situations. I mean, it's short time. So you don't, you know, there's, you just have to cut right to the chase. So sometimes people will call you with stuff and you're just like, come on, man, get the fuck out of here. Like, no, <laughs> you know? And so, and, and I'm, you know, I'm sure we did that once or twice too, just cause yeah, you, you, there's, there's not any time to, to bullshit around and haggle. You just need to kind of yes, no, are you willing to do this or not? Yeah. That's a, uh, uh, Andrew Brandt who does uh, a lot of similar work uh, for football. It says deadline spur action. And I guess that's, yeah. maybe that's part of it. It's just like, all right, we don't have time to just like squeeze out every detail here. We need to find something immediately that's going to be beneficial for both sides or we just can't do this. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, I think it gets a little more interesting probably in the summer when people just have that there's no time pressure on some of those deals in the summer. So. Those can get a little weird because things can just drag on and teams will come back. Like, well, if you did this instead of this, and then, well, if the second was protected to 43 instead of 44, you know, you're just like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> are, we, are we ever going to finish here? So. Oh, man. Uh, now, you talk about, okay, you've been having these kind of informal conversations th- throughout the the year to just – Tell me about the nature of those of just how are you, uh, I, I mean, are you kind of like, ah, I don't want to like reveal that we, you know, we really want to trade for a wing or is it at the level of, you know, and you're talking to a team that has a wing that might be traded, like who kind of takes the first step of like, ah, you know, I actually, I think there is something to do here. Don't think I'm desperate, but there is really yeah. something to do here. Um, so I think the attitude we took and I'd say the majority of the teams do this, although not all of them, some of them are just super secretive and don't want to give any information that we would, we would let teams know what we were looking for and in a broader perspective, because that opens up more possibilities for three-way deals or opportunities or things that, things that they may come into that they could then bring bring us into and without without that information they can't do that so i i actually think sharing that information is usually productive now you don't necessarily say we're desperate for this thing so and so sucks he's killing us you know you don't sure you don't say that but you say you know if we were going to add one piece we'd probably look on this part of the team and you'd say you know we probably don't need x y and z because we feel pretty good there because of this and then they know you know they probably don't need to offer you players at that position and it just it it it's a, it's a way of streamlining everything when it really gets down to that last week so people know what what is kind of sensible for you and what isn't so that's kind of it. is it really 
do, is there a sense that it's the buyers who kind of take the first move a lot of times? Uh, I would say that's more common. Yes. Yeah. And that, and, yeah. And that the teams, yeah, if you're, you, if you're, yeah, if you're selling, you usually don't want to be making as many outgoing calls. Like, please take my guy. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. you know, you kind of play a little hard to get. I think, I, th- I think that's definitely true. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent, but it's definitely, it's definitely the, the majority of those cases. Yeah. That, that the, the, quote unquote buyer, in which when we say the buyer, kind of the better team, the team that's given up the pick to get the player in, in these kind of deadline scenarios, they're usually the ones that, that need to be a little more the aggressor. Yeah. And I suppose too, then you always have plausible deniability of like, Oh no, actually like we weren't making calls on this. We guy. weren't like, like, shopping you. No, right. we just, we get a lot of incoming calls about this player. And now, right, right. I mean, and, and I, I do think, I do think when you have, when you have, um, when you have a star player is important to your franchise, though, you have to treat those things a little differently where you kind of d- depend on your team and your philosophy, but, uh, where you might not even entertain, you might just shut it down right there and say, look, we're like, we're not even, we're not even going there. Do you have a sense, uh, one of the teams that I have been most impressed by, the last three huge moves that they've made, there wasn't even a peep. There wasn't even necessarily an idea that the players involved might be available is the Clippers. The Blake Griffin trade with Detroit came absolutely completely out of nowhere. Right. And, and that's, you know, yep. and, and I mean, that seems like, and then you go for the next one with Tobias Harris again. I mean, he was going to be a free agent, but no one was talking about him as like, you know, this guy is like on the block, you know, the, no yeah. one was talking about that. And then, then they got Paul George in another one that was pretty silent, but let's say the Blake Griffin one, right? Like that one, I'm just so impressed because like you're talking about here, there are all these reasons of why you're not necessarily able to be creative about the sort of player where, okay, for you, Conley and Gasol, they're at the end of their careers. You clearly need to rebuild. Like that one's obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but these ones where you're trading the guy and it's not obvious and there hasn't been a trade request, it seems like it would be very difficult to even begin to have that conversation. Yes. Um, first of all, I think you have to be careful with who you have the conversation with. So you have to know who the other front offices are that you can trust to keep things under wraps. Uh, second, you might internally close the loop quite a bit. Yeah. You might just have the GM and the owner and maybe one or two other people in on it and just lock everyone else out. And, and so the, you know, the fewer, the fewer people who have access to the secret, right? The, the lower the odds of it getting out. And, and so there's definitely an element of that. Um, I, I do yeah, think, but, but then also the less data you have, the less process. Right. You can right. Bring yeah. yeah you're potentially, you're potentially hurting yourself by doing that. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, may, maybe what you do is you just, you know, in November or something, you're just like, oh, hey, you know, do a workup on like just this completely far fetched scenario of trading Blake Griffin that we would never actually consider and and give that to me. And that's the person's input, but they don't necessarily have the input in real time. Boy, that that would be the last thing I'd do. Yeah. Because then then there's a lot of time for that to get out. Like, oh, hey, I worked up this whole trade scenario and there's like no context yeah. or anything. But, but people like, do that shit like that all the time, though, right? That, like, isn't that like that you know your analytics department or scouting or whatever it's like hey you know let's just let's be prepared for this contingency if it's like a five percent chance that it happens or something yes uh but i i still think with your with your top one or two players you're a lot more careful with that yeah and and feel free by the way to to tell me where i'm going completely wrong here i'm just like spitballing with stuff from my total outsider perspective so uh if uh if I'm just being moronic, you, you feel free to let me know if you're like, no, that would never work. Uh, but yeah. So I mean, I mean, that's, but back to the idea of Griffin. So you really think it's just those sorts of things a lot of times get, uh, get you, limited to just the, the highest yeah, level. Yeah. You close, you, you close the loop or you keep a tight circle of trust and, and that lowers the odds of, uh, of anything getting out. I mean, especially when you just, <laughs> 
did a big <laughs> billboard or whatever clipper for life, right? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, you you really got to make sure that 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 it won't get out, or if you start down that road, that you're probably doing it, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the other problem, right? It's like, and then you know, it could end up becoming a self fulfilling prophecy. Where you end up having to do it, but you, you, even if you, the initial discussions don't glean the deal that you want, you end up alienating the guy and he wants out or something. You end up having to do it anyway. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the situation you don't want. The other thing that just uh, occurred to me as you're talking about this is just the value of having people in your own front office that you can trust, right? You remember David Griffin, there was talk that he was going to go to the Knicks or even, you know, Phil Jackson when he was there. James Dolan wouldn't let them clean house and bring in everybody that was just their guys that were going to be loyal. And when you have people who have just kind of been there a while or like, you know, and aren't necessarily on the same page, don't have the same philosophy, they're looking out for themselves within the organization. That's kind of a good way for stuff to end up getting leaked to either other teams or the media or whatever in a way that's not going to be productive for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, um, that, that, that is absolutely why, um, why, why those guys want to bring in their own people. And it's funny. I mean, the, the code of loyalty is strong in front offices, but I would say on coaching staffs, it's even deeper than that. Like to be, to be seen as a disloyal as an assistant coach is like the, the, mark of death or whatever <laughs> like you can't oh, yeah. that, that is that is the last thing you ever want associated with you if you're if you're an assistant coach especially i'm sorry i'm digressing here but did your discussion about loyalty just remind oh, yeah. me of that and it was so, it was something i didn't really grasp until i got into into the league yeah no i mean it it, it does seem that way um all right let's do another quick break here and got lots more to talk about so i'm only like about halfway through my list of questions at this point I really just love the concept of Masterclass, as does my wife, who actually signed up for it before she even knew that they're a sponsor because she's working on becoming a better writer. So she took Margaret Atwood's class, R.L. Stein's Writing for Young Audiences class, Judy Bloom's. There are actually now 11 writing classes that, that they have available from some absolute luminaries out there. She also did Chris Hadfield's Space Exploration class because she's uh, really interested in science fiction. Of course, Stephen Curry teaches shooting and ball handling. They've got Phil Ivey and Daniel Negreanu for poker. They just get the absolute best teachers, and it's a real class. You can engage with it, do the assignments, really take it seriously. Or if you're just more of a polymath, you can just watch the episodes, learn more about uh, these various fields, which is certainly something that I have enjoyed doing. And for a limited time, when you buy one annual masterclass all access pass for yourself, you get another one to gift for free. So if you have someone whose birthday is coming up, for example, go to masterclass.com slash PER, which is easy to remember because John came up with PER and you get started with this limited time offer. Once again, you buy one all access pass, you get a free Free one to gift to somebody else at masterclass.com slash PR. Don't forget that slash PR URL to let them know that you came from us. Conference championship games just finished up. The Super Bowl is coming. Biggest betting day of the year. And my bookie is the place to bet because they let you turn all of your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Get off the sideline, get in on the action with my bookie. They are now offering to match your deposit halfway all the way up to a thousand dollars. So if you deposit two thousand dollars, you get an extra one thousand dollars in free money to play with. That's a, an insane deal. Go to mybookie.ag and make sure that you enter that promo locked on NBA, the network that we are a part of. That's locked on NBA to unlock that awesome offer at mybookie.ag promo code locked on nba you play you win and you get paid at mybookie.ag promo code locked on nba so at, at what point is do you is there a confusion over when the official offer has been made and that so okay you have now said yes this is it we're not changing it or as opposed to ah you know we're just spitballing the construction here is it hard to get from like point A to point B to getting to the official offer in terms of just like everyone acknowledges that like, okay, this is it. We've agreed. We're done here. 
There's usually a little bit of a dance at the end. Like you get you get to a point where you we, know you're we can close. call that dance the Brandon Williams because wasn't it like everyone was so mad at him in that uh, I think it was the Papa G trade where like everyone thought they'd agreed and then he's like, oh no, somebody has to take Papianis also. I think that was maybe like the 18 deadline. Oh wow. Yeah. That's well, see, right. yeah. I guess you're you're was- uh, you're probably like you know actually worried about your own ship yeah yeah i'd completely forgotten about that yeah i think it was like with utah and cleveland or something yeah 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 joe johnson i think was in that trade uh the george hill crowder i think it was that three-way wow fun Um, times i'd completely forgotten about that um so usually kind of the back and forth is like you've talked about players you've kind of put some initial ideas on the table where you say we you know if you guys you'll 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 kind of lob something in there softly. You know, if you guys, would you be willing to give up a first for this guy that you've talked about? And they'll be like, yeah, you know, and they'll say, well, let me talk to my people. They'll come back and say, yeah, you, you know, we're we're not doing a first. That was ridiculous. But, you know, if we, maybe, you know, we have this second in 2023 and we have this European guy and, you know, so whatever it is, you reach a point where where you kind of go back to him and say, okay, look. I think that last thing we were at, I think that's something that we would, you just have to get to a point where you say, okay, I think we're at a point where we would do that if you would do that. I don't have approval. You always say, I don't have approval from my owner yet, right? Because that's, yeah. that's kind of the last step and it gives you kind of an, an out. And, uh, but, you know, we've run up by our people. We're, we're, we're okay with doing this particular thing if you can, if you can get approval on it. And then, and then from there, that's kind of the signal that like, okay, we have like an actual actionable deal here. And the ownership approval thing, like usually you've already talked to your owner about it a long time ago. So <laughs> that you, you actually have it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just, you just haven't really told them you have it. So it, it's more kind of, and I mean, I guess everyone's philosophy is going to differ here. So I, I don't want to overgeneralize. Yeah, sure. But you think it's more, how, you know, would you be willing to, to do a first or or is it no i want this really good first that you have from this other team and you know that's and and then are you kind of are is it the philosophy like i i want to just be upfront about what we want and we're just going to stick to that or is it now let's ask for the moon and then we'll just slowly you know try to create some anchoring and then we'll slowly move down to like the real deal that we'll actually take i'd say every one of these is a snowflake and yeah. it 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 all depends it's it's your assessment of the leverage of how how much they want the guy of how much they need the guy you know your own internal assessment of that team and what their needs are and what their alternatives are so i think it's i think it's just reading the poker table really it's just assessing the situation and knowing you should know in your head like what what the end game ought to be and what what the end games are that you would accept and and those dictate your negotiating strategy too and then deadlines dictate it too um on draft night for instance we've had situations where we said we'll give we'll give this up this future pick to get this pick in this current draft and teams have come back and said well we want this and this and we'll say no, we'll give up this particular pick <laughs> and that's fair. And that's what we're willing to do. And that's, that's it. And, uh, sometimes that has worked and sometimes that has not. Uh, but the, the, the draft, especially in the second round when you have two minutes between picks, that, that's another time frame where the, uh, the, the time constraints tend to produce only serious offers. Yeah. And I guess it's just, Another question I'd have too is how much of just the overall marketplace over the last few years seems to enter into the thinking? Does that ever even come up in conversations where, you know, let's say you're, this is a, just an example. Let's say you're David Griffin. You want to trade Drew Holiday and someone comes to you for an offer and you're like, no, that's ridiculous. Like Mike Conley got almost as much as that and he was, Oh, we, we will absolutely, oh no, we will absolutely have all the comps for, um, for trades of a kind of a similar ilk in, in front of us and, and we'll use them in negotiation if we have to. Yeah. I I mean, does that end up being persuasive at all? Just the sort of, this is the overall marketplace for this type of an asset. I, I have, I, 
I have no idea if any of that shit actually works. Um, but you, <laughs> but it's also internally, I mean, it's helpful. So you know what, what that market is set at and what is a likely return. Yeah. Cause I'm sure you also have your own projections of, okay, Drew Holiday is to be worth this many wins uh, above replacement based on his salary and compare that to what it would be for the expected value of these two first round picks and et cetera. Um, so that's obviously going to go in there as well. I'm guessing that's yeah. less likely to get shared with the other side though. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but there's, you know, there's all kinds of wild stuff. We had a situation one time, this, this is funny. So I'll tell this story where there was a potential for us to acquire a player, but his, in- he had incentives in his contract that could potentially put us into the luxury tax <laughs> and it was a guy that came out of the blue and we hadn't done a lot of work on. And so we had people just diving in at the last minute, like, is, is he going to make it? Is he going to get this or not? And, uh, we, we, we ended up not doing the trade, but, uh, it was kind of a funny situation. It's the type of thing that can happen toward the end though, where, where you're, you're having to evaluate a lot of different situations in parallel. Um, so you're trying to do as much work as you can ahead of time, but like situations like that are just going to, are just going to jump in too. And you kind of have to deal with them in real time. So how would you characterize what just your own personal responsibilities were in the time around the deadline? Um, so I was definitely in charge of drinking all the coffee. That was pro- <laughs> prob- probably my, my, my most important. No, no, no. Um, the, um, we, we split up the phone calls, which is how most front offices do it actually. Um, that rather than have one person calling all 30 teams or all 29, I guess that you'll split it up among two or three or four key people so that everyone has kind of eight or nine teams that they're responsible for keeping tabs on. And that makes uh, life easier. I think not only for the, for the GM, but for, for everyone, it's a, it's a manageable list. You can deal with your teams. Um, and then obviously you have conversations, then you go back to the, general manager or chief executive or whatever, you know, your team calls their head honcho and, and discuss what's been proposed and everyone figures out if there's something to do there. And if you want to go forward with that, uh, but that, that's, that's pretty typical. And usually the way it's split is just by relationships, right? I'm good friends with this guy in Boston. Okay. Boston will be one of my teams, (laughs) you know, it'll, it'll be like that basically. And, and, uh, Divvy it up rough, roughly equally, and then nobody feels too overloaded. So when you have people that you're personally friends with, mm-hmm. you find it easier to deal with them? I think in some ways I might find it harder to deal with them because I know if I do a great job with this trade, that that's going to like, you know, cause them problems if they right, end up Right. We're friends, but I'm trying to screw you too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. I, I actually, I, I do think it's easier though, because you can have, there, there's more, there's more trust there. And yeah. trust is what underscores a lot of this in the, in the trade market. That's why you see teams, uh, a lot of times, uh, common trade partners. Uh, yeah. th- th- when that you say do- trust, you, mm-hmm. you trust them to do what exactly? That you can have conversations with each other. That you know won't get leaked and are coming from the right place, and also just in the in the process of um, just in the process of shooting the shit with each other, you just ge- generate more information, yeah. and and so are able to come to a better idea of what might work, and and I think that's probably part of it too. So I you know to, I I do think that's a reason that. Teams tend to have common trading partners. Yeah. I mean, we've seen Utah and Cleveland trade three years in a row. <laughs> Sacramento and Portland traded the same yeah. player <laughs> two years yeah. in a row. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, I think, um, I think we did Charlotte three years in a row, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Courtney Lee. We did Courtney. And- we did Matt Barnes and we did Troy Daniels. Yeah, and Angus Ole almost happened there too. If, at least, if That's reporting correct. is to be believed, that yeah, that was uh, a that was a different administration, but still, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. I'd forgotten. About oh that. yeah, yeah. I guess for Charlotte, you mean yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's say you have a decent offer on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. or, or, or actually, sorry, I, I is 
when you talk about your personal responsibility, I don't think we finished that. You're talking about making the calls, but what else then? So I think you're, you're, you're in meetings with your GM and the rest of the staff and you're giving your opinion on all these deals. You're assessing what all the cap implications are. Um, which is, which is obviously a huge part of it. That was always the thing that always terrified me, like waking up in sweats was you'd mess something up in the last hour of the deadline and end up $12 over the luxury tax with no way to get out. Oh right? my God. Dude, I can't, I can't even begin to, to imagine. Yeah. That, that's like the worst nightmare, right? So, uh, just looking at those calculations over and over and, you know, making sure everything's, Okay, there and uh, yeah, you, you got to hope for an. What was the the uh, Eric? Somebody who's like a stretch four on the Bulls, where they waive him at like two days before the end of the year, and then like somebody claims him and gets that whole number off their books to like give him some more room. Oh yeah, it was, tax, it was which, yeah the Rodney Magruder deal last year. Oh oh yeah, I guess that was that was yeah. another one too. I, I'm trying to. Uh, it was the guy who who plays for Finland, stretch four. I can't remember his his. Oh, Eric name. Murphy. Thank you. Yeah, that's who it was. Yeah, where the Bulls wait. I think it was like thirteen fourteen season. I want to say where they were doing the uh, they traded Luol Dang, and then they're doing the get down to thirteen guys for absolutely as long as you can dance, and yeah. then they they wave him and uh, oh, just so happened that the Jazz were willing to pick him up at claim him. They only got to pay, you know, three grand of his salary or something <laughs> like that, but it saves the bulls, uh, you know, 1.8 million or whatever. I guess he wow. was a, a rookie. So it was less than that, but, uh, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that's, that, that was interesting. I, I'm sure nothing absolutely was uh, decided beforehand, but I mean, you can't offer them anything at the time. It's just kind of goodwill, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> goodwill. Right. <laughs> <laughs> for for the next deal so yeah. so you are responsible for like okay if we make this deal how does this impact our future finances and well, so you're running a lot of a lot of like scenarios with spreadsheets and stuff like that yeah exactly deal. exactly yeah yeah that 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 was a big part of what I, what i was doing um you know can as i said having the conversation with the teams but having the conversations internally i think is such a huge part two and that's just a constant dialogue that because other people are coming so basically usually as you get close to the trade deadline you have you pull everyone off the road they're all in the same city right we're we're all in you know when i was with the grizzlies we're all in memphis we're kind of have a conference room that's hq but then we're all peeling off to deal with phone calls right right so like so you're done with the call you come back in the room you know you you tell everyone what happened then somebody else peels off to take a call they come back in the room like hey we have an offer for this this and this so you're just constantly updating new information figure out the capital implications of what might be on the table and you know a lot a lot of times it's pretty obvious what those are but sometimes it gets it gets tricky and uh and then you're you're assessing and figuring out the you know weighing weighing the offers or, or hopefully you have offers and what you'd be willing to do some years is pretty dead and some years it's crazy it just depends and some years you think it's dead and then it turns crazy we had we had a trade deadline in it was 2016 where we had already done the, we'd done the Courtney Lee trade like a couple days earlier so we we thought we were basically done and then the Clippers called us, I want to say eight minutes before the deadline, maybe with wow. the, uh, with the offer on the Jeff Green trade. And, and, uh, we were, we were like, well, that's, you know, could you change the protections? And then they're like, no, this is our, this, this, this is the offer. And, the, and, uh, and the, okay. So this is a pretty strong way to present an offer, right? That, so that yeah. you can't change it. They said, uh, Doc Rivers is in the funeral for Monty Williams' wife. Okay. So we can't even reach him. So this is the offer. <laughs> and if you're willing to take it, great. We'll do the trade call. And if not, all good. <laughs> and so, yeah. Uh, so we, well, we decided. But they came with a pretty strong offer too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. To exactly. Because they, they, before the deadline. Yeah. They changed from a, they had offered us a second and they changed to a first and it was like, okay. Now, now we're in business. So, um, so that that was a really interesting situation because, like I said, we thought it was totally going to be crickets, and then all of a sudden we had to spring into action. So one of the ways that that I kind of think about things 
it, when and and this is kind of more from like the seller quote unquote seller mm-hmm. standpoint is you've got what I call internal leverage and external leverage is, is how I think about it and internal leverage is all right if your offer is not good enough we'll just keep this guy you know we we don't have to trade him we can just you know hold on to him it's not the end of the world we'll make the playoffs we'll win a few more games our uh we'll save him for next year we could move him a, a, over the summer you know wh- whatever it is and then there's external leverage which is like okay yeah we probably have to move this guy but we've got three or four bidders for him so you better increase your offer because these other guys are are, are offering this um, yeah yeah and it, people do both of them at the same time too sure especially when you you know when you're still a couple of weeks out and there's more of a bullshitting phase i guess right yeah like oh yeah we've been getting a lot of calls about him you know we'll we'll probably keep him but you know <laughs> but you know we could maybe be persuaded if the offer was good enough yeah and then and then you know things always get down to reality as the deadline gets closer it's too bad uh that because with you guys keeping tyreek evans that one year Mm -hmm. like no one would have ever actually doubted you anymore in the future when you're bsing him and you're like oh yeah we'll just keep the guy because like it looked like oh for sure you're gonna trade him and then you decided to keep him but uh yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure at a low level that that may have that may have helped us uh, the following <laughs> year, but uh, but no, there um, was all there was a whole other dynamic with that though that I can't sure, get into. Sure. I, I I I usually figure there is when I just can't figure out why something is happening. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of seems like the default. But okay, so you've got multiple offers here, or you're engaged as a buyer for someone who you know in theory there are going to be multiple offers for mm-hmm. how are you going to figure out? I mean, cause usually they'll say, Hey, we've got other offers. You know, you, you need to increase your offer. Are the other teams going to be specific about what those offers are and say, Hey, if you want to get this guy, you got to increase it to this. Or do they just say, Hey, you got to do better than that. And uh, I'll let you know if you got it. Trying to think uh, how most teams handled this because yeah, yeah. I mean, they would they would all say you had to do better, but sometimes they would say kind of kind of specifically, like, yeah, you could probably get in the race if you were able to do this. You know, yeah. I can't guarantee it, but I think I think you'd have a good chance. <laughs> you know, so it uh it it yeah. it varies. But, but though, you know, it's every rarely strategy is a little different. Yeah. It's really at the point where it's like. Hey, we we got a first and a second for Boston here. You got to beat that. It, it doesn't. I've you know, never doesn't had. That I've never had somebody float out somebody else's specific offer to me. Interesting. Uh, that I that I can think of, and I'm not going to say it's never happened. I'm sure some happened somewhere at some point, but that's an, an uncommon thing to me. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's definitely a way that uh, and by and, uh, and yeah. I think I think like if if you're if you just thinking about your reputation as a team, like you don't want to be presenting what other teams were willing to offer. Hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and kind of putting their business out there. It's, it's, uh, it's not a way to build trust, I guess. And, you know, I think trust is a thing that, that matters when you're doing trades. Cause you hear a lot of times other teams carping in the media of, Oh, we would have beaten that offer if we only had a chance to really, like, that was way back in uh 08. That's a, everyone was going crazy about the Pau Gasol trade to the mm-hmm. Lakers. And like, yeah, we could have done better than that. Now, each team's perception of what's actually a good offer and is right. a better offer is out there. You know, they all probably overvalue their young players and blah, blah. But it, it does seem like that what you're talking about here might be part of why that is where you're really, you're not necessarily dealing with perfect information of what the other offers are out there for a guy. No, and I think as a seller, you're probably okay with that most of the time. Mm-hmm. That you want to create a little bit of uncertainty that, hey, somebody else could be coming in with a really strong offer. We better, we better throw that second first in. Yeah. You know, cause somebody else, somebody else really could, you know? So, um, I, I think there's, uh, there's, there's strength, I guess, in that, in that uncertainty. 
rather than knowing specifically how, if you know the bar is set at seven foot eight inches, you're going to jump seven foot nine. Exactly. Right. (laughs) You're not going to try to jump 13 feet. Right. So, yeah, uh, I I think there's some of that. hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I guess that's true. I, I, cause to me, I'm thinking like, okay, well, if you've got seven foot eight and they're not, and the other team is only going to seven foot two, you might as well like try and get them to seven foot nine by, letting them know what seven foot eight is mm-hmm. but uh yeah no i i mean i guess you're it's probably probably higher risk high high reward to be a little bit less transparent about it what about would teams be like oh we've got teams x y and z are also in the running for this guy w- would it get to that level um it seems like it's been that way um although we've i mean we didn't really try to put other teams business out there you know when i was yeah. in memphis but I do think there are times strategically where probably it did help. It has been helpful for teams to say, to name specific teams that were interested because that crystallizes the threat a little more. Yeah. Uh, especially if all those teams are in the same conference. Yeah. So I, I guess probably the biggest takeaway that I have for, from this conversation is that, you know, maybe teams are really operating in the dark a little bit more about what other teams are trying to do. And I guess that's part of a, a big reason why so many teams try and talk to reporters during the deadline too, because they, it might be the best source of information about what other teams are really trying to do. Yeah. They get, I mean, they get information from different channels too, sometimes yeah. which can be helpful. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes they'll hear stuff from agents who agent agents are probably less connected to front offices on trade stuff than they, then they represent, but sometimes if there's, especially if there's a key player, they'll kind of know. Um, yeah. you know, like I'm sure, like Paul George's agent, I'm sure was involved <laughs> in that, in that whole thing with the Clippers, right? And, sure. and the Thunder, right? Like that, he didn't wake up like, what? My guy got traded, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so um, so that there's definitely value there. I think when you get into the secondary players, not so much. Um, but for the top line guys, sure. And, uh, you know, the, there's just, you're, it's just a hunt for information though, I think in general, and you're trying to get it from different places and some, some people are better at getting information than others and, you know, and some, uh, some have access to different information than others. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time, I, I guess. I mean, usually you know from talking to the teams basically what they have and what they're willing to do, but sometimes you can find out some some different stuff through those other conversations. I'm guessing the answer to this is probably no, but are you ever calling people or are people ever calling you and being like, are you in on this guy? Like, <laughs> you know, where there's just a, a thought of like, are you guys trying to trade for this guy? I'm guessing that conversation happened. I don't, I don't happen, think I've – I'm trying to remember if that ever happened to me. And I'm, I'm not really sure that it did, you know, and I will say there were only one or two times where we were really, really in a situation where we were, where we were chasing somebody high profile enough that that was a plausible conversation to have. But, um, I I can't, I can't really recall that happening. Um, all right. One more quick break here. Got a few more questions for John that we still have to, uh, eliminate a team from the playoffs. Get a little, a little more difficult here. Although I guess if what Memphis makes it, it'll make yeah. it a lot easier for us. All right, back after this. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. So we talked a little bit about some of the timeline, right? You mentioned that Jeff Green trade where they increased their offer eight minutes before the deadline, uh, 
or whatever it was, what is usually the timeline that, that you're looking at here ultimately for, for some of these deals? I mean, I, I suppose it, it varies, but you know, I, even in that case, you know, it sounds like you guys were talking more, you know, but there's just a, a lower offer on the table, et cetera. Um, and what's kind of the longest timeline, the shortest timeline that you can recall? Okay. So the shortest, I did a deal in one call once. That, so that, that's wow. definitely the record and it'll never be broken. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the longest, huh. I mean, the, there were a couple of deals where we went at it for like a month at least. Yeah. Uh, you know, just back what, and forth. What, and like, and, and when you say that, you're like a hard offer, a hard offer has been made. You know, like, I guess from like the first time, it's not just conceptual. Oh, you know, we're interested in a wing, blah, blah, blah. It's just, okay, we have now made you an offer. And then that negotiation goes over like a, a month long period. Uh, might have been, might have been pretty close. Cause there was one where like it went away and then it came back and might have, yeah, that might have been like from a, from having a real offer, like still taking like a month. Um, and then there were, there were a couple others that, that, that kind of dragged on and we thought went away and then came back. But it is interesting though. Like most of the time, you kind of know in the first call whether you have something or not. Yeah. Just, just by how people react and what, you know, what kind of messaging you get. It's, you, you you often can tell pretty immediately whether okay this is like a seventy percent chance of happening or like a two percent chance of happening. Um, it's 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 amazing how often that that it plays out that way. Do you ever just get really really annoyed with somebody uh, uh, on another team? That you're yes, because there to? were certain teams that were just incredibly frustrating to deal with. Yeah, so yeah. Abs- absolutely, um, where where you did feel like it was just you were wasting your time even picking up the phone. And is that because they just didn't see basketball the same way? They're making unrealistic offers. Like, what, what are they? Give me, you know, for a young executive, give me like a a uh, a things to avoid in a trade call with uh, with somebody uh, the, else. The the, uh, the just the inability to c- converse about what you might want and what you like. Give me something, right? Like, <laughs> let me know something about what your team or what you're doing, and um, and then I don't know. Some there's some people who you talk to, and you can kind of go back and forth with ideas and stuff. Um, and even if you don't ultimately get anywhere, you can at least kind of hit on every branch of the tree and kind of kind of figure out if there's fruit there or not. And then there's there are other people you talk to who just can't can't really can't really do that or don't don't want to do that or don't have the imagination to do it or what i don't know but so so those are frustrating conversations all right last question here before we eliminate team from the playoffs how the hell do you negotiate pick protection that's always something i never really had a great idea of how that really gets done you just you just put stuff out there and go back and forth basically i mean it's it's just it's it's not rocket science. Actually, that 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 part isn't as complicated as you might think. As um, as thorny as some of the deals end up being, when you look at the protections on the deal, you generally get a good sense pretty early of what's of what it's going to look like. Where whether whether it's a situation where it's more like a protected first or almost a fake first. Or if it's more of a situation where it requires a legitimate chance of, of, uh, of some high end outcomes at, or yeah. just ending up in a, in a full blown first. So, uh, th- that actually is, is not like a, a crazy thing. And, and there's some back and forth. It gets, it gets a little thorny sometimes when, when teams try to add in reverse protections on it and, you know, cause that, cause that, that creates, that creates different potential outcome possibilities. And then teams, teams evaluate themselves for, and each other differently. And so that, sure. that can create some different perceptions of risk and reward. So it can get a little thorny in there, especially when you start dealing with the, where, where the protections get really limited. 
But in general, like nego- negotiating protections is, is one of the things that is, is actually it. There, there's a lot of blustering and back and forth and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's not super duper complicated. Yeah, the, that surprises me because the ones you know, all right, if it's lotto protection, okay, I, I get that. If it's top four protected, it used to be top three protected. You know, those those four slots, three slots that you know you get bumped up into a. In the lottery, even if, you know, let's say you finish with the 10th worst record and you're, yeah. uh, you get bumped up there, you know, those, those are sort of a, a clear lines of demarcation. It's the one where it's like, okay, it's top 12 protected this year. Then it goes to top 10. Then it goes to top eight. But, but all that yeah. is, is it starts out at those lines of demarcation and that's where the conversation starts. And yeah. then the two sides start chipping away at it. And that's how you end up with, well, it's top nine in 2023. And then it, but you know, there's only there's only so many ways you can take it at the end of the day and and yeah. cut up that pie. So if if the teams are motivated to get a deal done, the it gets it gets done, and it's and you usually have a pretty good idea of how it's going to get done. Well, I, I always enjoy it because I, I still want to hear the GM who says, "Well, there's only uh, there are only nine players that we liked in the 2023 draft." <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> we've been doing, so we've been doing a lot totally of work fine, on the 14 year olds. Right. And let me tell you, there's, there's exactly <laughs> nine of them. <laughs> All right. You ready to do our completely 100% feel safe predictions of who will not be making the playoffs? Yeah. You know, there's, there's a chance we might suck at this. Um, it's possible. That's what makes it fun though. Yes. Yes. People want to see us suck. Actually, It's much, <laughs> it's much more entertaining. Um, so to recap here, I eliminated Detroit last week. John eliminated Charlotte. We are, however, at the same eight teams overall uh, that have been eliminated. So I believe I went first last week. So it is now your turn to go first. So we've eliminated eight. Okay. I was trying to figure out this morning if I had already eliminated the Wizards. I guess I have. Uh, Yes. You eliminated them on December 20th. Wow. Okay. All right. So... I think it's time to go back to the West here. Um, I think, I think we can stick a fork in the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. Uh, Marvin Bagley and, starting at center. 15 and 27. Rashawn Holmes is out. Uh, not really making any of the faces a team might make if they were going to climb back in it. Uh, you know, Memphis is up five games on them now. Uh, just made the trade for two seconds. Uh, with Portland, I thought it was a good deal for him, but sure, obviously not the kind of deal you're going to be making if you're if you're about to make a playoff run. And I think there may be a little more of that from them. So I think uh, I think they're they're my next team. I'm going to eliminate. I'm going to I'm going to knock out Sacramento, which historically has been a safe bet. <laughs> Party like it's 2006. Exactly. Uh, oh yeah, I think it's coming down to me. Between Sacramento and the Bulls and the Bulls with Wendell Carter out for mm-hmm. the next four weeks or so. I mean, that is definitely, and I've already got, I've already eliminated six teams in the East. Yeah. That's the problem, right? So, we- so the Bulls are the only, that, that would be a seventh team. So that would be, I have my East playoff field is just set. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, so I think I just, just because they're the only one and maybe just like some calamity could happen to the magic or the nets. I mean, the magic have actually had a lot of calamities, but it hasn't killed them yet. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think just because not only are the Kings, you know, about to win as many games as the bulls, it's just, there's so many more teams between them and getting into the playoffs that I do think I have to go with the Kings as well. So it's, I know it's more fun when we, uh, when we disagree on these, and I'm sure that it will be coming at some point, but uh, I'm in full agreement with you on this day. Okay. All right. Let's see. Now now the Kings are going to go on a 12-game winning streak because we both eliminated them from the playoffs. So. <laughs> Northern Calib- the California best news Kings fans could- have had all year. Yeah. Northern California basketball could use a little bit of a boost here. I, I, would, <laughs> I, I would happily be wrong if I could see a few more quality games in that, uh, that 7 p.m. Pacific time slot. <laughs> yeah, really. Hey, at least you got those Cal Golden Bears dominating the Pac 12. <sighs> yeah. 
All right, let's uh, let's get out of here. Okay. Well, please uh, follow us on Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA at John Hollinger. I've never plugged this before, but if you want to see some of my cap projections for these teams going into the deadline, and then how the cap is being affected for these teams pretty much in real time as the trades are occurring. We try to get those out in trade season within about an hour or so, so you can see how it's uh, affecting teams. Uh, future cap, uh, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue that I do with my partner, Danny LaRue. I encourage you guys to sign up there and also uh, watch us live on the NBA cast. And John, what have you been writing about for The Athletic this week? Well, so I've I've been writing about trades actually. Um I've been I wrote about the Jeff Teague trade, I wrote about the Kent Bazemore trade, and I've been gonna be writing about uh whatever other trades we uh we have happening happening in the league in, in these coming weeks. And uh then I also wrote about how the uh Memphis Grizzlies have become a must watch league pass team uh this year. So they're gonna be on national TV on uh, Monday actually. So uh <laughs> a little preview of what everyone's seeing. Hey, quick aesthetic question for you. I posed mm-hmm. this on Twitter a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. John Morant is the most exciting to watch rookie since blank. Preseason Zion Williamson. <laughs> I think Jai is even more exciting than than Zion. I just I like the little guys. I like the the passing yeah. vision. Um, I I think I know Zion is crazy, but I think Ja like he just has these moves that like nobody else has. Like I just I I love. The guys who can just make people look silly off the dribble, like it's and, and he and he and, has that, yeah. He yeah. has the the imagination in some of his moves for his age is incredible. Um, so I I can't argue with that. Well, so so if not Zion, then then who would you go back to? You think you're going back a long way, man? A lot of people said Luca. I just uh, Luca's athleticism was not quite at the level that I'm just like wowed by. I mean, he's he's probably gonna be better than Job, but to be clear, but this is just like personal aesthetic, exciting to watch. Just for just for yourself, in terms of being this jaw dropping as a rookie too, because yeah. you know, rookie Giannis was not really no, not at all this this jaw dropping uh, thing. Man, Blake Griffin. Oh, that's a good one. Derek that's Rose. a good one. Although he didn't play his rookie year, I mean, he was technically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his his like redshirt rookie year, I guess. Yeah, Derek. Okay, rookie Derek Rose. That might be a good one. Yeah, although rookie Ja is better than rookie Derek Rose. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, and rookie Rose didn't have like the passing ability. No, no. He just, especially toward the end of that year in that playoff series against Boston, he just came on like gangbusters. He was just so. So overly athletic, he could just get anywhere on the court. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're going back a ways. No, I, I mean, it's really, if you're not watching that show, I know it's Memphis, but like, it's, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's, uh, reconvene then next Sunday and, uh, read John's work on the athletics, subscribe there, uh, and, uh, listen to Dunked on Danny. I will be talking about the Kings. Portland trade in the excruciating detail that we didn't have a chance to get to tonight on this show. So we'll uh, talk to you all in a week here. So then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less today at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?